Hi, I'm Simon Drew, and welcome to the Practical Stoic Podcast, where I dive deep into the ancient philosophy of Stoicism. If you find value in this podcast, then you can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. Otherwise, you can head to simonjedrew.com to find my writings, my music, and also information about my one-on-one coaching. But apart from that, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, I had Catherine Coromilas on the show, and one of the things that we discussed was this upcoming Stoicon X Women, which is happening this coming weekend on the 5th of June, uh, British time. Now, today on the show, I have an interview with another one of the head organizers of Stoicon X Women, the wonderful Brittany Pollard. Now, if you're unaware of Brittany's work, I'll give you a little bit of a background to her. So, Brittany Pollard is the author of Tranquility Parenting, a guide to staying calm, mindful, and engaged. She holds a PhD in applied linguistics, but currently researches and writes about Stoic psychology and philosophy. Brittany's latest project is called Living in Agreement, where she applies her lifelong interest in human nature to the discourse and practice of inner excellence. And in the show notes, you can find links to everywhere that you can find Brittany online. So again, before we jump into the episode, I do want to encourage you, if you haven't already checked it out, go to pathstoflourishing.org. There is a link in the show notes, and you can find out heaps more about this Stoicon X women coming up on the 5th of June this weekend, uh, British time. And I will be attending for as much as I can stay awake for, because it will be starting at, uh, I believe, midnight my time. Uh, But I'll be there, and I'll be very excited to also hear a few people who we've had on the show, including Sharon. LaBelle uh, and Greg Sadler as well. So, uh, some wonderful people speaking there. There's going to be some great topics discussed, and uh, I'm sure that we're all going to take away uh, a lot of value from this conference. And uh, so, again, go to pathstoflourishing.org. But apart from that, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Brittany Pollitt. Okay, Brittany, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to talking with you and uh, uh, as you know, I had so, so much fun talking to, to Catherine about everything that she's been up to and, um, and even the, the, the Stoicon women coming up. And, uh, and I guess I wanted to throw it over to you and say, you know, tell me a little bit more about yourself uh, and for those who don't know you at home, and then uh, we'll, we'll dive in. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, yes, so Catherine is my co-organizer and co-host for Stoicon X Women. She's absolutely amazing, so I'm so glad you had a chance to talk with her. Um, we are working together on a historic event. So it is the first ever conference or any kind of event held by, for, and about Stoic women. So that in itself is pretty amazing and kind of mind-boggling that it's taken this long for it to happen. So we're really excited to be kind of behind that and and just seeing the the movement within the community in support of this idea and in support of, yeah, let's, let's spotlight some women's voices and see what they have to say. So kind of the goal behind the conference is not to set up a dichotomy. We're really welcoming everybody. We want everybody to participate and to feel welcome. So it's more just, so if we, if we 
we talk from a woman's point of view, um, then what do we hear? Do we hear anything that's different? We really want to celebrate and kind of bring out just some, some different aspects that have not really been highlighted before. So yes, super excited. We've got um, Sharon LaBelle doing our keynote and we are all extremely excited to hear what Sharon has to say. Living as if your life depended on it, it's going to be excellent. Um, we also have, I'm doing a panel which is called Power to Care. And we have the amazing Jennifer Baker on that. Dr. Jennifer Baker is a professor at College of Charleston. She's a, an ethics professor, just an amazing person. We have Leah Goldrick, who is behind Common Sense Ethics. And she is super smart and really keeps up with everything going on in the world. So we have a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of angles represented. It's going to be a great conference. So I really encourage everyone, no matter who you are, no matter how much experience you have with stoicism, whether you're a beginner, you are just curious about it, or even if you're kind of expert level, there's going to be something for everyone. So please come join us. Heck yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm excited for this to happen. And I, and, and, uh, I think... You got some amazing guests lined up and uh, and I, I love that you're opening it up to everybody as well and just saying, come and see, come and hear, uh, you know, see what we have to offer. And, and I think that it's going to be, you know, a, a massive success, obviously. And is this, this is in uh, conjunction with, uh, conjunctions, that's the right word, um, with modern stoicism, right? Is this, this is a, this is a big event that they're putting on as well? Yes, so Modern Stoicism is the umbrella organization and we're affiliated with them. So kind of like the Stoiconx military, which just took place yep. yesterday. And this is a similar event. So yes, all together. Wonderful. And uh, so Brittany, I, I, wanna, I wanna dive into some stuff that you're doing as well, because you've got a book called uh, Tranquility Parenting. And I, I'm guessing you incorporate some kind of stoic principles in that book as well, right? Yes, it's actually completely based on stoicism. I, I cool. kind of titled it Tranquility Parenting to make it more general, to appeal yeah. to people who might not have heard of stoicism. But um, yes, it is based on stoicism. So as anyone who is a parent knows, stoicism is incredibly necessary when you have children. Um, mm. I mean, it's, it's necessary in every aspect of your life. And in fact, having children is kind of what brought me to stoicism in the first place. It was kind of a wake-up call, like, oh my goodness, you know, where am I going? All of a sudden, you're responsible for these little humans, and it's like, oh gosh, I, I better get this right. <laughs> I better yeah. know what I'm doing so that I can help them to know where they're going. So um, yes, there's there are tons of things that a parent can do to incorporate stoicism on a daily basis, and also just kind of in the big picture. You know, you should have your life philosophy before you have your parenting philosophy. The, the two should go together. It shouldn't be separate. So like a lot mm. of Stoics talk about, we want to integrate. We want to be coherent people. So Stoicism is about being consistent throughout your life. And, and this is just another way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to dive uh, deeper into that because I, I know that there's a lot of parents out there who listen to this podcast and they're, they're always after, you know, good advice that can help them in every area of their life and in, including their parenting. But obviously uh, I don't often have a lot to say on that because I don't have kids yet, but, <laughs> but we have had uh, other guests up before uh, on talking about parenting and, and it's always been useful for them. So I guess I want to dive first into that element of getting your life philosophy sorted out, uh, you know, because 
Some people might also say, well, okay, there's nothing that could possibly, I've heard this before, there's nothing that could possibly prepare you for having kids and, and your life philosophy will probably change when that happens, right? But but what what do you do to encourage people to, to get that life philosophy down and what, you know, like I have my own exercises that I give my clients, for example, to really trying to figure out who they are. What would you tell people to do or ask people to do uh, in order to, uh, further develop that that philosophy of life before they have kids what do you think would be important for them to do well first of all i have to say i got the basis for this idea from bill irvin because his book was actually my introduction to stoicism like many other people i'm a total cliche um, but this is kind of the basis for everything in in the rest of the book and from my point of view it's not necessary that someone completely it says, I am a Stoic and identifies 100% with the philosophy, although I myself do, but I understand that it's it's not for everybody. So I think the main thing is just that you have a philosophy that works for you. And I know a lot of people kind of investigate different philosophies and, you know, maybe are a bit eclectic and pick what works for them. For me personally, I think whatever works for you, whatever makes you a better person, whatever enables you to, to live a good life. And when you become a parent, that is 10 times, 100 times more important because you've got to be there emotionally for the child. You know, mm. so many people grow up, you know, kind of messed up from, from their parents, just not being that emotionally stable presence in their lives for their parents, you know, being needy or just not giving the child everything that they need. Um, so I think that's probably the number one most important thing that we could all do. Mm. Um, so once you have your life philosophy, you know, read Stoicism. If it works for you, great. If not, keep, keep digging, find something that you can put together coherently. And I even recommend in the book, you know, sit down and make a list. This might be something that you talk about with your clients as well. Be very intentional about it. It's not going to just fall from the sky. You know, as Seneca tells us, virtue doesn't just descend into your lap, right? You have mm -hmm. to work for it. You have to be very intentional and conscious about it. So, you know, make a list of the qualities that you want for yourself. I think um, a lot of stoicism is also based not on kind of an external quality, but on your internal condition, right? So who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? When your child looks back at, at you 30 years from now as an adult, what do you want them to think about you? You know, was, was my mom or dad um, always worried about things or were they courageous? Were they always interfering in my life, hovering over me? Or did they know how to kind of step back and use that, that good judgment, that wisdom and discernment to, to let the child grow? Mm -hmm. So it's, it really makes it kind of more concrete for a parent when you think about it that way. And of course, we're all building in our own life experiences here, thinking about your mentors, not just parents, but teachers or other mentors that you've had. Um, and then what kind of qualities do you want, did they exemplify for you? And do you want to exemplify for your child? Mm -hmm. And then of course we can talk about, you know, the Marcus Aurelius book one where he's looking at all his mentors and, and listing their good qualities that they taught him. So obviously for a parent, um, the meditations book one is extremely valuable. It, it's, it's a beautiful guide for us to think about, you know, what kind of legacy we want to leave for our children. Yeah. Yeah. That, that it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's the, 
that's the first thing that, you know, any client that comes to me, the first thing that I get them to do is this personal philosophy exercise. And the first thing I'll get them to do before they even do that is to go and read book one meditations and just think at least spend some time meditating on who are the people in your own life who you admire. And that's actually a conversation in itself because there's something really strange about uh, the human capacity to, uh, to, to be drawn to certain people for certain qualities. You know, I think that this is one of the strangest things that, that happens. You know, you can, you can say, well, you know, it comes from uh, our cultural upbringing, but it's just, it's not only that it can, and it cannot possibly be only that there are these qualities that we look for that we're drawn to as human beings and so, yeah, I always tell my clients, you know, go away and think about these people. And it's always a great experience for them because you probably agree. I mean, how often in life do we actually decide to stop and to think and to meditate on who has inspired us and who, you know, who is important to us? And also just to think about, well, what does that mean for my own personal philosophy? And, and I always find when people do this exercise, they think, you know, wow, I, you know, I learned so much about myself because I hadn't taken that time before to actually pause. And, and, and I guess, yeah, like what, what is that? It's, it's, it's such a strange thing, right. That we are drawn to, to these, these certain characteristics of, 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 of other people. And I guess I, I want to kind of put that into the parenting aspect here, because obviously Parents want to be the best example. They want to, you know, they want to exemplify those qualities that, you know, I'm thinking of that quote, I uh, can't remember it exactly, but I'll paraphrase here. It's like, uh, kids have never been good at following instructions, but never fail to imitate, something like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, let's say as, as a parent who may be uh, implementing some of these stoic principles, how do you balance uh how do you move towards uh, being that exemplar in you as a parent uh, whilst also recognizing that there are going to be moments when you slip, there are going to be moments when you fail and, and when you don't live up to that example? Uh, how do you encourage people in the book to, to move towards that kind of ideal personal philosophy while also maintaining, you know, uh, the, 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 the almost perfect parenting, I guess? Well, there's no illusion that you're going to be even close to perfect. We all know that. So just to address your question about slip-ups, what do you Mm -hmm. do when you slip up, when you mess up? Well, you admit it and you apologize. Everybody has to do it. I do it when I mess up. Um, But even that is setting an example for your children of the kind of person to be. So even, even that makes you a role model in a way. Because none of us expect our children to be perfect either, right? So you're showing them how to deal with relationships. You don't brush it under the carpet. You face it honestly. You acknowledge it. And you talk to the other person about it. And you say, I'm sorry. So developing that ability both in yourself and then in your child, uh, even that in itself is a role model action there. So we have to teach our children to deal with the reality that they're not perfect. We're not perfect the world is not perfect. So this is one of the most important things we can do. Mm. So as far as how do we approach as closely as possible to being that ideal parent, even though we know we're going to mess up, we still want to strive in that direction. Yeah, so that's the question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The ultimate question. 
Um, but it's also kind of more broadly the question of stoicism, right? Because if we see ourselves as we want to approach this ideal, how do we stay motivated? To me, that's the question. We, we might know theoretically what we need to do. How do we actually put it into practice? We wake up every morning, we show up for ourselves, for the people in our lives, and keep working at it despite those mistakes. Um, well, I think that we maintain that model in our heads of going back to ideal human nature. So the Stoics were, when they talked about human nature, they weren't talking about just, you go find someone on the street, you give them a questionnaire and the responses that they give, okay, this is human nature. No, we're building in this normative, the, the ideal of what we should be. This is what we are actually meant to be as humans. Um, and so I find this extremely inspiring and motivational. And I just, I actually just came across a quote from Cleanthes the other day, who said that all humans are fit for virtue by nature, but most of us are like an unfinished line of verse. We're incomplete. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, we, we want to be complete, but we're just not quite there yet. We need to finish those last few words to complete our line of verse. So it's like we're all striving for what, what we should be. And to me, this ideal is, is just really inspiring. We're, we're developing towards our potential, right? Um, mm. You know, like any kind of, you, you might have an oak tree in a field. Some are going to be able to flourish into this gorgeous, you know, we've all seen the pictures of the full, beautiful oak tree out there. That's what we want to be. Or Epictetus talks about um, the, the excellence of a horse. The excellence of a horse lies in its swiftness, right? So this is what we want to be. The horse is excellent when it's swift. A human is excellent when we're wise, we're mm. self-controlled, we're just, you know, we're courageous. So the virtues are actually, this is what we're meant to be. It's our purpose. This is how we find our, our meaning. Yeah. Um, and so to me, this, this keeps me going every day to, to keep on working, to be that person for myself, also for my children, for the other people in, in my life as well, you know, the community. Um, so to, to me, this motivation is, is the secret. It's the key, the secret sauce. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I really like the way that you're framing that in terms of the real key is to, to obviously to have that idea in your head of the ideal state, but then to, to do everything that you can to not forget that. And that, that seems like, like motivation, right? Trying to continually motivate yourself to, to be, be reminded and, and that, I think that perhaps what you would call motivation, I would call that attention, you know, bringing it back to the attention that on, on your ideal. And, you know, I've often thought about this and, and talked about this with a lot of people, this idea that, you know, it's almost as if, if you, if you really pay attention to life, it's almost as if we're all dreaming here and that we need to wake up every so often. Right. And we need to actually bring our attention back and say, okay, okay, okay. What, what am I doing here? How do I feel? What am I aiming towards? You know, what would be good for me right now? What would be good for the people around me right now? Uh, Cause so often we can just go into that kind of default mode, right. And just go into autopilot and, you know, you might wake up every couple of hours and think, oh, okay, look what I'm, you know, doing. <laughs> but, well, maybe this is just me. Maybe I've, I've turned insane. But, um, but you know, it certainly, <laughs> it certainly seems like that. And, uh, and yeah, this attention. And there's something that you said there as well as this, well, I guess it's the whole theme. 
it is very strange that we as humans are constantly trying to aim at a higher ideal, right? And it, and there's something about the ideal, the sage that is always just a couple of steps in front of us, kind of pulling us forward. And and this is why I often think that um, these kinds of conversations about stoicism very quickly go in the theological direction. And I actually love that. I think it's very necessary for us to be talking on deeper and deeper levels about deeper and deeper questions of life. And you you said there, you know, we, we are meant to be a certain, you know, we are meant to be striving towards an ideal. And this is the exact kind of language that I would have heard growing up in church, which is, you, you, you know, you are ordained, preordained to be great, you know, to, to bring something to the table. And, and I actually don't, I, I don't, I don't really lean away from that kind of deeper theological language about what our true purposes as human beings, because you could say, and and I might throw it over to you after this in terms of your opinion about this, but you could, I know that I've heard a lot of people talk about this in stoicism and I know it is a, a kind of theme in stoicism, which is that to lose that attention to the ideal and to, to not strive to, uh, uh, to have understanding and, and, and a knowledge of your, you know, your purpose as a human being is to almost remove yourself from the human tribe. You know, if you were to just skate through life and just think, who cares? You know, there's something kind of inhuman about that because you look around and you see that everybody is trying to move towards something if you really pay attention closely. I don't know, but I want to throw it over to you there. You know, how important is it uh, maybe to you personally to to and and what has the effect been so far in your life of conceptualizing that ideal and then really trying to move towards it in your life? Yes. Well, you said that everyone is trying to skate towards something in life, and mm. and we see this all the time. This is actually one thing that convinced me, just based on my experience of the world and my interactions with other people. This is what convinced me that stoicism is right, is because everybody out there is seeking something, right? Most people are seeking money, social status, wealth, power, whatever it is, those external things. And stoicism says, no, 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 let's turn this around. Those things will never make you happy. That's not what you as a person are meant to do. So let's find what we really as humans are meant to seek. And so I think um, the whole stoic conception of virtue is just is that answering that question. What are we meant to seek? What are we meant to be? We know that chasing after money is never going to make us happy. So what will? So it's, it's just kind of turning the question around. And of course, the Stoics were famous for their paradoxes and making things counterintuitive. And, and this is why, it's because they say that we are all meant to do this by nature, but we get confused because of the teachings of our associates and the persuasiveness of, of impressions and opinions is what Chrysippus said. So mm. we, we just, uh, we kind of misinterpret what what's going on and that misinterpretation or what other people around us are doing makes us think that the right thing to do is seek these externals when in reality it's not. So I do agree with you that it's, I wouldn't call it um, for me personally, this is not a theological quest, hmm. um, but spiritual. Yes. Spiritual in, in terms of, you know, <laughs> what is the meaning of life that hmm. can't phrase and, no, no serious philosopher likes to talk about the meaning of life because it seems like such a ridiculous and childish question. Mm. But I really think that that's, you know, that's part of the 
the quote unquote spiritual malaise that's afflicting Western society these days is because nobody thinks that's an important question. Um, it is in fact vital for us to have to have that meaning guiding our lives. And with the decline of traditional religion, you know, traditional social structures are, are breaking down. And in some ways that's really good, but we have to have something. We have to have something guiding us to, to make sense of our lives. Yeah. So I think this is where stoicism really steps in and steps up to the plate and gives us that that structure, that order, that meaning for us to kind of organize our lives around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you have uh, do you have any? Uh, you know, I know a lot of people say in stoicism combine it with, uh, say, their Christianity or their Islam or, um, or you know, in any other number of, uh, uh, I guess. Uh, communities that they belong to um do you pair your stoicism with with anything else uh, or, or is it are you are you on this uh this stoic journey 100 <laughs> percent? i i'm pretty hardcore stoic yeah i i'm agnostic so i don't belong to any other faith community mm. um but i i actually rely a lot on um kind of anthropological or psychological evidence to inform what i'm doing because um, in this day and age, we just have so much information. We have so much mm. more that we know about the world and about human nature than the ancient Stoics had access to. And why not use it? You know, when you look at earlier, you were mentioning that as humans, we seem to be drawn to certain people who exemplify certain traits and characteristics. And I don't think you're insane. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that's part of our evolutionary heritage, you know, mm. human nature. I mean, if you think about going back a hundred thousand years, what did humans look like? Well, we lived together in small groups and it was vital that we cooperate with each other, that we put the good of the community above our own selfish interests, that we be able to trust other people and work with them. So to me, when you look at the cultures around the world, when you look at the wisdom traditions that have developed around the world, this is what it's all pointing to, you know? Mm. So, so I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That, that, you know, the idea of the sage, even thinking about, you know, recently I've been really diving into Seneca and so much of what he talks about is aimed at him trying to <clears throat> discover the, the, the true nature of the sage. Right. And uh, I, I, I guess I, I, I want to. I'm actually going to bring it back because um, I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into into your book. Uh, and and I guess I was wondering, could you could you give me some other principles or tactics or tools that people can use in their parenting that you've kind of uh, taken from Stoicism that can really help them to to uh, become better parents and do I guess do a better job of parenting. Sure. Um, well, of course, there are lots of specific tactics that you can use, but in a lot of cases, I find myself saying, well, you know, you just need to apply this one principle in 99 different ways. And mm. so one thing is that when you're working with your children, you want to teach them uh, general principles instead of specific things. You don't want to sit on top of your child and say, okay, now put on your pants, now put on your shirt, now brush your teeth. You know, you want to be able to teach them to be self-sufficient. And, and so in the same way, we want to be able to apply. So um, for example, good judgment, how are you going to apply that as a parent? Well, in one, one thing that you're going to do is look at things from your child's perspective. Um, and so this involves a little bit of the compassion side as well. And a lot of people are surprised when I talk about 
compassion as a stoic because of the old misperception that, you know, we're not supposed to be compassionate. But in fact, that understanding of the child's perspective is crucial for you to be a good parent. You know, we all get frustrated. Um, your child gets frustrated. So being able to, to see things from their perspective is going to help you um, make a good decision, use good mm -hmm. judgment, not be overly harsh or punitive, that kind of thing. Another essential, essential topic is to actually enjoy your child. And in a way, this goes back to the attention that you were talking about, being mm -hmm. very conscious of each moment. So, you know, you're sitting there, you're in the middle of, a, you're, you're running late for work, you're trying to get your kid out the door to school, or you've asked your child 10 times to pick up their toys and they're not doing it. You know, how are you going to keep from getting frustrated? So bringing that attention back to what's going on here in this moment and just remembering to enjoy your child for what they can offer you. Mm. Instead of getting upset about the, the situation or frustrated, you know, why am I the only parent in the world who has a child who can't pick up their toys? Well, obviously you're not. <laughs> um, so, so taking that perspective and stepping back as well and saying, okay, the, the view from above as applied to parenting so, so the view from above is the, the famous psychological exercise that Donald Robertson talks about a lot, um, but it, it's a well-known psychological exercise where you distance yourself from your specific situation and think about things from the point of view of the cosmos, like you're standing on a mountain looking down or maybe you're on a spaceship looking down at the earth. So I like to think about, in a moment of frustration, I think about, okay, so how many other children are misbehaving at this moment on planet Earth? Um, probably millions, I would guess. It's not just me. It's not just my child. This is not a uniquely bad situation for me. So how do I deal with this? And, and it just mm. transforms your point of view and enables you, instead of triggering that emotional reaction, to, to take the distance and then think about a, a wise way of handling it. Mm. Um, it's also good to prep your mind before you ever need it, right? So doing that preparation in the morning and the evening, you do your morning review. Oh, sorry, you do your, your morning preparation, your evening review, how did the day go? Um, so there are a lot of different strategies and a lot of the ones <clears throat> that we use for general stoicism can also be used for parenting, for specific parenting situations. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I like this. I, li I love the, the theme of attention going through here and just bringing your you know, focus back into the moment, what's actually happening. I think that's the most important thing that anybody can do. Obviously, I'm not specifically speaking about parenting because that's not my expertise. But um, also, I really like what you said there in terms of the, the view from above exercise. It seems like that it seems like you take it in a very... Um, uh, you might not think about it like this, but it takes it in sort of like a community orientated perspective. You know, you mentioned, okay, well, there's probably about a million kids around the world, you know, misbehaving right now, um, which means that I can kind of handle this, right? Because like, it's, it's not uniquely bad to me. It seems like you're kind of drawing upon the shared experience of humanity and saying, okay, well, if everybody else can handle this, then so can I, right? Is there an element of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. And parenting is one of those things that has been done since the beginning of time, right? So we've got plenty of inspiration to draw from. You know, mm. we know it's it's a part of being a human for many people. Um, so it's it is kind of part of our our shared heritage. So it's 
yeah, I would I would say that the view from above is always valuable, but especially especially in parenting. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that stoicism has really helped me personally with, and I know a lot of other parents I've talked with, is dealing with the judgment of other parents because mm. it is brutal. Once you become a parent, it's the kind of thing you never think about it before you're a parent, but the judgment of other parents is it's always there. You know, you go, you take your child out to the grocery store. And it seems like every person who's walking by is going to have an opinion about whether you're doing things right or not. I remember one time my husband drove to the hardware store. Our, our child was at home, but the car seat, he had to take the car seat out of the back seat and he put it in the front seat so he could fit all the stuff in the back. So he drove, drives to the hardware store. When he gets back, someone has taped a note to the windshield of the car saying children should never be placed in the front seat. My husband was totally alone. The, they had not even seen a child. There was no child in the car. <laughs> but someone felt that they had the right to to do that. You know, so even even when you're alone, you're there's always judgment when you're a parent. Mm -hmm. So stoicism, <laughs> stoicism can help tremendously in just saying, you know what, these other people's opinions of me do not matter. They do not make me a good parent or a bad parent uh, and just letting go of all that because no matter what you do someone is going to think you're doing it wrong mm. so um, yeah so this is one big area that stoicism helps yeah definitely I, I I'm all for the you know bringing that um that uh, I guess the judgment back onto into your own hands and saying okay what can I do how am I messing up you know self-appraisal but then there's also the you know, then there's also that element of what's that quote? Uh, you know, the village raises the kid or something like that. Uh, it, it takes a village to raise a kid. That's it. Um, uh, and, and so there is that element of, okay, well, we do need communities around us to help us uh, uh, to, to do everything in life, like absolutely everything, not just parenting, but specifically with parenting as well in, in a world where we are kind of, I don't know, we've just, well, a lot of us are kind of coming out of lockdown. A lot of us are still in lockdown. Um, you know, a lot of us are dealing with that kind of seclusion from the world. Uh, and, you know, not, not everybody has that community like we used to have, um, you know, where it might've been like a church group or it might've been, um, you know, a close knit group of friends or something like that. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people still have that, but um, I'm wondering how, how do you, how do you bring the community element into, into parenting in order to help with that? Like, and, and especially in this increasingly uh, digital world where, um, you know, a lot of stuff happens online and I don't know, how do you think about that? Mm, that's a great question. I, obviously it's going to vary from person to person, depending mm. on where you live, what kind of community structure is available. Um, you know, in the United States, it might be different from other parts of the world. Mm. Um, also, depending on, you know, urban or if you live in the country, wherever you are. In general, what I would say is to try to be intentional about creating your, your culture, your community culture. We're fortunate today that we are able to kind of go in, in different directions. We're not just limited to, you know, the 20 families that live within 20 square miles of us. We, we have the mm. internet that we can, we can find different people. So um, creating your family culture is going to include choosing where you participate, you know, what kind of 
um, opportunities you, you give your children as far as education, what kind of school you want them to go to. So all of this, I mean, it's pretty complex, uh, just yeah. depending on, on your different location. But I would say to, to think very carefully about it, who do you want your kids' role models to be? Because the people that they hang around are going to become their role models, especially as they get older. And mm. we don't always have a choice about that, but we do have some control over it. So, so this is the difficulty of parenting, right? We, we don't control our children, but we do have some control over the environment they grow up in, the kind of the direction of their lives. So I think this is why parenting is so difficult because there's that ambiguity, control, but not control. And stoicism can help us resolve this by saying, nope, you don't control your kid, but you do have responsibility for them. So what yeah. can we do within that, you know, within those parameters to, to set things up in a way that's going to favor their development? Yeah. So, I mean, I would, I could talk about, you know, specific things, but I, I think it's just going to be different for every family, unless you have specific questions about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, no, I think that that's reasonable. Just being intentional with, with, uh, you know, who you want your kids to be looking up to. And, and of course, uh, you know, one thing that we would add here is definitely that, uh, as you say, you can't control your kids and life happens and <laughs> they'll go on the directions that they want to go on, you know, sometimes. And, 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 and there will be times obviously when your job is to, as you said earlier, not to be that helicopter parent, but to, to step back and, let them do the thing that is going to bring them, you know, understanding about life, right, and experience. Um, but I, I wanted to dive into, uh, now you have a, a, a program, a, a thing that you're working on called Living in Agreement um, about human excellence. And, and I'm, obviously that has something to do with living in agreement with nature. Uh, otherwise, I guess you wouldn't have, have used those words. Talk to me about what, what you're doing here and and uh, and and I'd love to talk to you about what what you see as that principle of living in agreement with nature, what that means to you. Yeah, um, so that is my website, livinginagreement.com. And absolutely, it is the basis of our end goal. According to Zeno, our, the end goal of our lives is living in agreement. So a lot of times we talk about living in agreement with nature, but it's super interesting when you go back to the primary sources, the, the very original formulation was just living in agreement. However, mm -hmm. it pretty much means the same thing as living in agreement with nature and living in agreement with virtue. These are all equivalent formulations of the same thing. And that goes back to what we were discussing before about human nature, because human nature is virtue. If you think about the excellence of a person, what does it look like in any in any society? So here's a question for you: What is an excellent person? Mm, yeah, that's uh, that's that's a massive question. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but if I could just jump on one thing that you said there, um, you know, you okay? Well, I'm going to give you my answer, and and I, I don't know if it'll be what you're looking for, but when I think of an excellent person. You said that uh, humans are kind of, we are, I can't remember exactly what you said, but you mentioned something to do with humans and, and, and their connection to virtue. And to me, I see that, you know, when I think about virtue, I think, well, humans, in a way, we are built upon layers and layers and layers and layers of virtue. You know, there's something about the kidney that if it does its job well, then it's a virtuous kidney. 
you know, there's something about the hand that if it does its job well, then it, it but, but you can take that all the way down to the atom, right? And beyond that, whatever is beyond that and whatever is beyond that, it's like we are built upon this infinite layer of virtue. And then you also see that it's not only that, it's, okay, well, I'm also in many ways the product of my culture which is the product of multiple layers and histories and years and books and people and heroes and all this sort of stuff. And that's all virtue as well. It's like, you know, Seneca took the time to be an excellent human being and to write down his thoughts about what it meant to be, you know, uh, aligned with the universe, you might say. And, uh, and thanks to that virtue that he employed as a human being, that contributes to me, right? And so then I think, well, Marcus Aurelius also talks about, you know, the kind of hierarchical nature of the universe, um, meaning there's stuff that serves us as human beings, but then there's also stuff that we serve as human beings. Um, And so our job is to fit into that kind of slot in the hierarchy of the cosmos and to do what is uh, most virtuous for a human to do in that layer of virtue within the cosmic scheme, you might say. Um, and this this might be a way more kind of technical answer that that I'm trying to tackle here. <laughs> um, but to me, that's what I think of when I think of virtue. I think it's doing the right thing at the right time in the right place with the right mindset, these multiple layers that you almost stumble upon every so often. But to me, it seems like a, a question of what is our place within the cosmos and what what is higher than us? And what serves us and how can we use what serves us in order to do and serve what is higher than us sort of seems like what I'm thinking about when it comes to virtue. But I'll throw it back to you and <laughs> I don't know if that was the answer you're looking for. Yeah, that was very complicated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was probably way more complicated than it needs to be. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I agree with you. So it, when you talk about the kidney being a virtuous kidney, if it fulfills its function, Yes. So that is what virtue is. And and this is what I was mentioning earlier with Epictetus. So, you know, what is, what is a bull? A bull is virtuous when it stands strong and defends the herd, which I think is what you were saying. You know, the kidney does its mm. job, so it's a good kidney. Um, and that's, I, I agree that that's what humans do as well. So mm. what is our function? Now, wh- when you start getting up to, okay, so what are we, you know, what's the layer higher than us? That's when mm. I become agnostic because mm. I think it's, it's just too difficult to know for sure. Um, and so I wouldn't, I don't see enough evidence for me to base my behavior on that. Mm. But um, but what is observable, yes, I think we should base our behavior on that. And so that's where that's where human nature is for me, is doing, mm. is fulfilling the function of a human. So when you look at that, what do humans do? What's the distinctive excellence of a human being? Well, we know it has to be something with our sociability, right? We live in groups. We have always lived in groups. It is impossible for us to exist without living with another human. You know, when you think about mm. childhood, the the human infant is just so incredibly helpless and couldn't survive on their own for not necessarily 18 years, but, you know, 10 or 12 years. Even if you look at evidence from hunter-gatherer groups, they say that children are not able to gather as much um fruit as an adult until they reach about age 15. That, that's the evidence mm. that I read. So, you know, this enormously long and labor intensive childhood, we are, we are part of groups and there's just, 
no way around that. So part of what's going to be distinctively excellent about a human is this sociability, someone who can live with other people harmoniously in a group. So that's got to be one aspect. Another aspect would be our, obviously our intelligence, right? Our cognitive capacities, which are so different from all the other creatures that we see around us. So someone who's able to use those capacities to the best of a humanly possible ability, that's, that would be another distinctive excellence. And I really like how, for example, Cicero talks about our, our drive to find the truth. I think this is one of our distinctive excellences that's kind of overlooked a lot, but we all want to know the truth. And the Stoics talk a lot about this. No one is willingly deprived of the truth. Mm. Epictetus talks about this, you know, drawing on Plato. So I think that quest to to know, nobody wants to be fooled. We all hate to be to be the victim of, you know, tricks and things like that. So I think these three things together, how do we work with others? How do we live in harmony with groups? Um, how do we learn about the world? How do we use our rational capacities to, to be the best kind of person in these groups? And then our search for the truth. So to me, those, these are the excellences of a person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I'm all for that kind of cosmopolitan view of the world. You know, we are hyper-connected, hyper-linked with everybody around us. And so in a way, um, you know, this, this could be another thing to add to that conversation of virtue, which is there's kind of a, when you truly realize how interconnected we are as human beings, and when you truly realize that we are such social creatures and we are interlinked with, with every other person really on in, in, in this, in this, in this world, you think, okay, well, what would happen if absolutely every human being on this planet decided to truly understand who they were, you know, know thyself, uh, to really get some understanding and uh, of who they are and, and how they can play their part in the scheme of, you know, the cosmos or bring it to a more local level. How can you do your best to contribute to the human family? Um, and, you know, how good could things get if everybody tr- decided to try and get that knowledge? And I, I try not to I'll try not to get too Pollyannish there, there because um, obviously there's also that, you know, I'm kind of with, um, uh, you know, Carl Jung on these sorts of things. You know, he talked about gaining insight into the deeper wisdom of the cosmos, you know, like there's these people who come along and he calls them the mourners of morality, right? Who kind of um, scoff at every uh, deviation from their perfect ideal world. So I don't want to be an idealist, right? Because, um, everybody contributes to what's happening here, even the people who, <laughs> you know, to, to an extent, even the people who do wrong contribute in some strange way. Um, but nonetheless, what I would say is that, that yes, we need to find that, that community that drive to, to pull ourselves forward into contributing in a way that we can. And um, th- there's also something about this idea of living in agreement with nature and excellence as a human being. There's something about really trying to understand what it is that you can contribute or or how you could best contribute you individually. And when I think about this, you know, I think, okay, like I, I, I I could take a kind of um, like a a desk accounting job if, if that was, if that was where I found myself, but that, 
I, I would die internally after, you know, a, a, a few weeks because that is so far from how I naturally want to contribute to the community. But it's not even, na- it's, it's not even want to. It's, it's it, you know, so, some people are fortunate enough to find themselves in their lives in a place where it, what they are doing with their life and how they are contributing is the only thing that they know how to do <laughs> well, you know, really well because it's 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 who they truly are. And I'm wondering how you think that plays a role in this idea of living in agreement with nature in terms of really discovering how you uniquely can contribute. Because um, it seems to me like that's the fundamental question is, is who am I and what is the thing that I can bring to the table? How do you think about that in terms of living in agreement or, or human excellence? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like everything, we have to apply, we have to use our judgment and we have to use our wisdom. This yeah. is why this is why virtue ethics in general is so challenging because there's no, you know, just rule that we can apply to every situation and kind of mindlessly say, okay, I'm doing the right thing. No, every situation requires your judgment. So it is extremely demanding in that way. Um, mm. I mean, I guess we could talk about Cicero's four personae. Is that kind of the direction you'd like to go? Well, or Cicero's talking about? No, dive into that. Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to hear about that. Uh, so I'm not an expert on Cicero by any means, but, you know, me you either, to- sorry. <laughs> so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I might get some of the details a little bit fuzzy, but, but he talks about how, you know, we have the, the four different personae or kind of faces of virtue within each of us. One is just our basic human nature that we kind of share with everybody, with all humans, which we've already covered thoroughly. So the next one is, um, you know, your distinctive characteristics of like, Mm. like you were talking about, you know, are you, are you outgoing? Are you kind of more reserved? What kind of special talents do you have? Um, And so you're going to apply virtue based on who you are. And again, it, you know, it takes, it takes practice. It takes experience to learn about yourself and what would be right for you, but it's definitely a consideration that that is part of virtue is using your judgment to implement your talents in the right way. You're not supposed to, you know, take that accounting job and just suffer for 30 years sitting behind the desk. No, nobody wants that. That that wouldn't really be virtuous unless you literally absolutely had no other choice, in mm. which case then it probably would be virtuous. But if mm. you have other options, then by all means, mm. you should. Or if that's options. how you feel that you can contribute, some people are absolutely excellent in that. Oh, and yeah. they should be the ones doing that job, right? Right. I was talking about you specifically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you would you would die inside. But no, no, yeah. if you if you have the you know the talents of an accountant, mm. then that's perfect. You know, that's mm. an excellent job way for you to contribute to society. The world needs good accountants. You mm. know, whatever you're you're a firefighter, you're a teacher, a doctor, whatever. You know, the world needs all kinds of people and everyone has something they can contribute. So certainly, you know, we're fortunate. Again, it it depends on your society, your opportunities, everything. In some places and sometimes there isn't that choice. You know, we we all know that long ago, people didn't have much of a choice. They were just farmers or Mm. they just followed in their parents' footsteps and became a blacksmith or a cook or whatever. So in a time when we are fortunate enough to have that choice, then yes, by all means, 
do something that suits your particular talents. Mm. Um, another, another face of virtue would be your, you know, the situation that you find yourself in, the circumstances, kind of like we already talked about. In one set of circumstances, you with your particular talents, you maybe you should become a teacher. In another set of circumstances, you know, maybe you're forced to take a different path. So it's kind of all an interaction with your personal, you know, your personal gifts and inclinations with the situations. And then the fourth kind of persona is your responses. So the choices that you make, you know, as far as whether you're going to be a good person, a bad person, how you're going to react in the situation. So these are kind of, I guess you could think of them as layers, maybe, maybe that would mm. be a good way of thinking about it. Um, you're, you're one person and you, you're trying to be virtuous, of course, but you have to consider these different factors in deciding what to do, what's the best path, path for you specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Could you just, could you just reiterate those, those four points uh, again, just so, cause, and what is it called? It's called Cicero's uh, four personas of virtues. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little bit fuzzy. Faces, on, yeah. Yeah. The four persona is what I, I've always heard it called. Um, yeah. So general human nature, your yeah. specific talents and abilities, um, the circumstances of your life, and then your choices, the, the character you create for yourself. Yeah. That just seems like a, a really helpful way of thinking about how you can, you know, give your best in each moment, if you can bring your attention back to those four elements. And uh, yeah, I know I, I really like that. I'm going to, I'm going to do my research and, and see if I can find out some more information about that. Cause it seems like a, a good pathway for, for gaining that attention again. Um, but Brittany, th this has been a, such a wonderful conversation. I'm really glad that you've come on today. And I guess, um, was there anything else that you wanted to share before we, before we, uh, we before we head off, uh, tell people more about your website, where they can get your book, um, and also Stoicon X Women. I will be putting links in the show notes so that people can can go there and grab tickets. And I highly encourage that they do. Um, but is there anything else that you wanted to add? Maybe one last announcement. We do have a new website that I'm starting with Eve Riches and it's called stoicare.com. So it's going to cover different types of caregiving situations, whether you're a parent, teacher, medical professional. Um, so we're, we're unveiling it officially at Stoicon X Women in a couple of weeks, but I just wanted to go ahead and mention that in case there's someone out there who'd like to go ahead and look at it. We do have some information about parenting and things like that. So yes, other than that, thank you so much. This has been a great talk and really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, wonderful. It was so great to meet you, Brittany, and, uh, and many more times to come. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. Remember that you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. There you'll gain access to many exclusive episodes that haven't been released yet, as well as over 200 episodes recorded before 2020. If you'd like to work one-on-one -on -one with me as you move towards your ideal, then you can go to simonjedrew.com forward slash coaching. But for now, I'll talk to you next time.